If you believe in God, determining how you can have a relationship with Him and how He relates to you is your next step. This message is the fourth in the series, Believable. The message is entitled, What Do You Believe About Your Relationship With God? Here is Pastor Dalo Shields. Grab your Bibles, if you will, your teaching sheets as we turn our attention to God's Word. This morning we're involved in a series of messages entitled Believable. I want to talk to you today about what you believe about your relationship with God. What do you believe about your relationship with God? One of the things we're seeing in this series is that your beliefs really do matter. Beliefs are what you accept in your head. Listen closely. Beliefs are what you accept in your head and your heart as being true, even if they're not true. Sometimes what you accept in your head and heart are not true, but you still accept them and believe them anyway. Just like for many years, people believed that the world was flat, and they operated on the basis of believing a certain thing that was not even true, and it limited their life in certain ways. So just because you believe something doesn't make it true. It has to be examined in the light of real truth. And that's what we're looking at. We're talking about the real belief systems that need to be founded upon God's Word. And your beliefs are important because your beliefs will set you up for joy or misery. Your beliefs will set you up for peace or worry, for freedom or bondage. They will set you up for connection with people or isolation from people. They will set your life up for expansion or limitations. Your beliefs really do matter. It's important that they're built upon the truth. And the most important belief you'll ever have is your belief about God. And we talked for the last couple of weekends about what you and I are to believe about God. We investigated from Scripture what the Bible says about who God is and what we are to believe about Him. And today we're going to talk about another very important aspect of your belief system. What do you believe about how you can have a relationship with God? That's a very important statement. What is necessary? What do you believe about the, the, the relationship with God and how a person experiences one, more specifically, how you experience a relationship with God. I'm going to do something a little bit different this weekend. I'm going to give you my first four points of my, of my five points today are all going to be false, okay? So I'm going to teach you four false things. I'm not teaching you false doctrine. I'm going to give you false beliefs, all right? So the first four of these things I'm going to share with you today are false ways of thinking in terms of how people have a relationship with God. And the last one is going to be the truth that we build our lives upon. Sometimes you have to expose what is not true before you can understand what really is true. The first thing that is a false belief. False belief, number one, when it comes to having a relationship with God, some people believe that God either saves or condemns everyone regardless of their faith. That God either saves or condemns everyone regardless of their faith. I think all of us would agree this morning that the most important aspect of your relationship with God involves where you go when you die. It involves eternity. Amen? Because in light of eternity, this is a very short period of time that we live on earth. And so I want to know where I'm going when I die. I want to know, am I going to heaven or am I, I want to know if I'm going to hell? And some people have the mindset that we have no choice in that matter, that God has just universally determined that everybody is either going to be saved or everybody is going to be condemned, that God's verdict applies to all. So I'm going to write some words on the board today and do a little of an illustration for you as we go through the message. This first false belief is called universalism. Say that with me. With me universalism. And universalism says God's just going to save everybody 
or God's just going to send everybody to hell? One of the two. Let's look at those just for a moment. Are those true? No, they're not true because, first of all, we know that God is not going to save everyone because it is contrary to the nature of God. God is holy and God is just and God has righteous standards. And so because of God's holy, just, righteous standards, there are some folks that just don't deserve and and actually belong is probably a better word there, belong in heaven. How many of you know that unless Hitler did some major repenting, he doesn't belong in heaven, right? Are you with me? So that's the justice of God. That is the holiness of God. And so if we talk about God just saving everybody, doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, everybody just goes to heaven when they die, it's called universalism, universal salvation. It is a lie from the very pit of hell. The other side is also a lie that God condemns everyone, that God just sort of looks at the world and says, hey, I'm kind of sick and tired of all of you. I'm just going to send all of you to hell. That's contrary to the nature of God as well, because the nature of God is a God of love. He's a God of compassion. He's a God of mercy. He's a God that wants relationship with us. But we must understand that these extremes, universal salvation and universal condemnation, if you buy into this belief, you're missing what the Bible says about eternity with God. Let me take you to Matthew 25 and give you an example of this from the Scriptures. Then the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. So here are 10 people going to meet the bridegroom. The bridegroom represents Jesus here in the story. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, look, the bridegroom is coming, come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone, to buy the oil or buy oil, the bridegroom came, then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the five other or five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you, so you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. Jesus obviously is talking about him coming back again, but what I want you to see in the story is that there was a group of folks who were ready for him, and a group that were not ready for him. So we do we, this passage, along with many others, totally debunks the concept that salvation is just given to everybody, everybody goes to heaven, or everybody goes to hell. No, there are choices that we make in the journey, all right? So it's a false belief. Your eternal destiny is not a universal decision, it is a personal decision in your life. Number two, second false belief, that there are many roads to God. Not true. This, by the way, is really, really common in our world today. A lot of people believe, well, it really doesn't matter what your religion is. It doesn't really matter what you think regarding God. Just so you're sincere, just so you're trying to do the right thing. After all, all roads lead to heaven. All roads lead to God. Don't worry about it. Just so you're kind of spiritual somewhere along the way, you'll be okay in the end. Absolutely false according to Scripture. And this is what we refer to theologically as pluralism. Say that with me. So first one is universalism, the second one is pluralism. Pluralism says many roads to God. 
Now, the reason that pluralism, first and foremost, is a false belief, there are not many roads to God, is because Jesus Himself contradicted that. Jesus said, let me tell you about how to have relationship with God. So, Jesus now becomes the authority on this subject for us, and listen to what He said in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Notice that there is that qualifying statement, whoever believes in him. He didn't say whoever believes in whatever you want to believe in. He said, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. John 14, 6, Jesus, even in a more pointed way, he says it this way to us. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus did not say, I am a way, I am a truth, I am a life. Jesus said, I am the way. It is a definite article in the language. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. You can't get to the Father except through me. So pluralism contradicts the very teaching of Jesus himself. Not only did Jesus teach this, but the early apostles understood this message, and they preached the same message to those that they uh, were sharing the gospel with in the first century. Let me take you to John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, where the apostle John writes these words. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life, what? In His name. Not in others' names, but in His name. Acts 4 verse 12, referring to Jesus. Salvation, the early church preached this, salvation is found in no one else, for there is, say it with me, no other name. Say it with me, there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Listen to 1 John 5, 11 and 12. And this is the testimony God has given us, eternal life, and given us eternal life, and the life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son does not have life. How many know that's pretty clear, right? There's no doubt about it. There's no question regarding it. We first know that God has not said, okay, everybody's going to heaven or everybody's going to hell, and it's not pluralism. There are many ways to God. No, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Third false belief. Number three, there's a belief that says something like this, that God has predetermined salvation for some and condemnation for others predetermined, predestined, that God somehow looked down upon humanity and He said, okay, uh, you're going to get saved and you're not. You're going to go to heaven, but you're not. You're going to make it to heaven, but you're not. God doesn't operate that way. He doesn't operate in a predetermined fashion. And I'll give you several reasons why we know that God does not predetermine who's going to go to heaven and who's going to go to hell. He doesn't do this. Why? Because first of all, God gave every human being something called a free will, okay? And so God will not violate your free will. God, if He if he made the choice for you, you would be a puppet, you would not be a person, okay? 
And so you're not a puppet, you are a person. So God made you in His image, made you in His likeness, and He gave you a free will, and with the free will always comes responsibility. Anytime you make a choice, with your choice, you're responsible for the choices that you make. And so God said, I'm going to give you a free will, I will not rob that from you, I will not treat you like a puppet, I'm going to treat you as a person. And it also, another reason why God doesn't predetermine who's going to go to heaven, who's going to go to hell, is because, again, God is a loving God. He cares about people. He would never predetermine a choice to send someone to utter destruction. God would not do that. He is a loving God who wants all to be saved, as we'll see in a moment. And it also limits the atoning grace, the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary for us. I'm going to give you a a little picture here to help you to understand this whole idea of predestination and foreknowledge and those kind of things. So bear with me as I practice my pitiful art skills. Are you ready here? That's an airplane. Some people thought I was drawing a whale, okay? It's an airplane, all right? So bear with me, all right? Now, just so you know, this is the front, okay? Just so, so just give you a little idea. That's the front, okay? This airplane, I'm going to call the airplane of salvation. That God has a destination that He wants everybody to make. And what is the destination? Heaven or salvation, right? Right? Okay. That's God's plan. So this, pla- this plane is headed toward heaven. It's headed towards the plane of salvation, okay? Now, as in any plane, those are steps, by the way, just so you know, okay? You have to board it, okay? God didn't say, okay, you get on the plane, you don't. You can get on the plane, but you can't. God doesn't predetermine that. But what God does in, his, in, in the free will dimension of your life, okay, is that God calls you to salvation by the preaching of the gospel, that while I'm preaching right now and sharing with you the gospel of Jesus Christ, every time the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached, the Holy Spirit is present. When the Holy Spirit is present and you hear the gospel message, the Holy Spirit begins to work in you and to draw you to the plane, okay? That's the whole idea. The Holy Spirit's trying to draw you to the plane, the airplane called salvation, okay? And so the Holy Spirit works on you and knocks on your heart and says, hey, you need to do this and woos you and convinces you, does the best job that is possible in your life to draw you to salvation, okay? But at the end of the day, who gets to make the choice as to whether you'll get on the plane or not? You do. You choose. You can either say yes to the call, or you can say no to the call. God's not going to force you to get on the plane of salvation. He will do everything possible to draw you. Many of you can remember when you were coming to faith in Christ, maybe you went through a week or a month, maybe a year of God working on you and drawing you. You finally said, okay, yes. And that's the grace of God calling you to salvation. We call it theologically the prevenient grace of God, drawing you to salvation through the preaching of the gospel. But at the end of the day, you have to make the choice to say yes or no. And so there's a, the free will that you exercise from the call, a yes or no. There is a predestination 
salvation. The predestination is the destiny of salvation. And there's something else I want to mention here. There is the foreknowledge of God. The foreknowledge of God, he knows who's going to get on the plane, right? Okay. Just because he knows he's going to get on the plane doesn't mean that he made you get on the plane, but he knows he's going to get on that plane. That's his foreknowledge because he's the omniscient God. He knows everything. And so what I want you to see is there is this plane of salvation. There's a free will that you exercise by the drawing of the gospel of Jesus. If you've not gotten on the plane, I want to tell you something today. The Holy Spirit is drawing you right now. That today is the day that God's saying, today is your day to get on the plane called salvation, right? And the best choice you can make is a choice to say yes. And then you get on the destiny, the predestined arrival place called heaven or salvation. Let's look at some scriptures together. John chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. He, Jesus, was in the world, though the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. That is, those he came to said No, they did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, all who said yes, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. Listen to 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but wanting, implied there, everyone to come to repentance. He wants everyone to get on the plane. He can't force you onto that plane. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. He said to them, Jesus said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes, notice that, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all of those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleasing pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved. He wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth, to come into relationship with him. Revelation 3.20, here I am, Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Romans 10, 9 and 10. How many of you are thankful for the Bible, right? Okay. If you, notice the if, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God doesn't do this for you if you do this. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So the belief that God somehow predetermined salvation for some and hell for others is a false belief. Are you ready for false belief number four? False belief number four is this belief that a right relationship with God is a result of being good and doing good. Everybody say false. Not true. Now that I have excelled in my artwork, I must take it a step further. Are you ready? Okay. Draw another diagram here for you. Any applause? Okay. That's pitiful. Does anyone know what this is? 
that's awesome. I'm better than I thought I was. It's good. Here's the way this, this thing works, this kind of belief system works. It works in two dimensions. It works in your day-to-day relationship with God. It works in your mindset regarding eternity. The mindset of this, I'm right with God if I do good, and I'm not right with God if I do bad kind of relationship with God is called, I'll give you another word here while we're going through the isms, this is called legalism, okay? First one was universalism, second one was pluralism, I didn't give you a name for the third one, the fourth one is legalism. Legalism is, is, is based in the idea that my relationship with God is based on my performance, okay? That if I'm really, really good, that God loves me and God's happy with me, but if I'm bad, God doesn't love me anymore, He's not happy with me, and so my relationship with God kind of is like a roller coaster. Some days it's good and some days it's bad based upon how I'm performing, okay? Now, this is contrary to what the Scripture teaches, because what this is teaching is that we are, it's, it's the idea of being under the law, that we please God only when we're obeying the law, and He hates us or He's mad at us otherwise. It's not true. God loves you just the same when you're good as when you're bad. Isn't that good to know? Okay. That, that should have gotten a better response than that, okay? How do you have really good days spiritually? How do you have some bad days spiritually, right? Okay. Now, what if God's love for you is determined by He only loved you on the days you had a really good spiritual day, okay? Just think about that. How insecure would that make you, okay? And there are a lot of Christians who are living very insecure spiritual lives because they think that their relationship with God is based upon how good they are. And so when they mess up, they feel all the guilt and the shame. The devil just pounds them like crazy with condemnation. And so they feel like God's not happy with them anymore. And so they live this up and down, never have really any sustaining joy in their relationship with God. I want to remind you today that God loves you just the same all the time, okay? God doesn't love you more when you're being good and less when you're being bad. God loves you just as much when you're good as when you're bad. Now, is he pleased with you when you're bad? No, it's just like a parent. You love your child. There are things that you wish they would do better. You have pleasure in certain things that they do, but it does not determine your love for them. You, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and I put your faith in him, you are an object of the love of Almighty God. Okay? He cannot love you any more than he already loves you. Okay? And what happened, the reason that this, this let, me, let, me, let me just digress from that for a moment. This also affects us when we think about eternity. Because when we think about eternity, then we say, oh my goodness, when, I, when it comes time for, for, for me, when I die and I go to heaven, when I kind of before God, whether I'm going to go to heaven or hell, then my goodness, I got to make sure I get enough on this side and less on this side so that when I get there, God can say, okay, you know what? Yeah, it's a little tight here, but it looks like the good's a little bit better, okay, right? And so what you try to do is you try to do religious works, okay? If I go to church enough, read my Bible enough, or do these kind of things enough, then I'll sort of add these things to this side of the equation so that when God looks at me, there's more on that side, and maybe by the skin of my teeth, I can make it in, okay? That's fair. I don't want to come that close. How about you, right? Okay. And this is not the way God operates. The whole reason that Jesus came was to, li- to deliver us from legalism, okay? And to teach us how to live in relationship with Him, not on the basis of the law, but on the basis of love, okay? 
that we don't obey him because the law demands that we obey him. We obey, we obey him because we love him and we want to obey him, okay? It's a big, big difference. It changes everything in your life. And the reason that the law, well, you can never by the law and by legalism ever have a solid relationship with God is because the law can't deal with your biggest problem and your biggest problem is you, okay? Your biggest problem is that you and I are a sinner, okay? Even when I do my best things, sometimes I do my right things for wrong reasons. How about you, okay? So I could even be doing the right things at times, but I don't even have the right motives because I'm a sinful person in the core of my being. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We'll talk about this in a moment. You can dress a pig up in a tuxedo all day long, and it's still a pig, okay, right? And the same, you can put all this stuff on us, if you will, spiritually, but it doesn't change us on the inside. And so what God's after is, he's after the inside of you and a relationship with you that's based in love, not in law. Let me take you to a few scriptures here that will help us to see this, all right? Notice Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's all of us, okay? We're all sinners. Isaiah 53.6 reiterates this. We all Notice that all. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. We all have a sinful nature. Now, (coughs) when Jesus came to earth, one of the biggest things that he dealt with among those that he preached to was this thing called legalism because it was a group of people surrounding Jesus called the Pharisees, right? Remember the Pharisees? The Pharisees really thought they were really good. They thought that, man, this side of their scales was really heavy because they were doing all the religious stuff. But Jesus was able to see past all the religious stuff they were doing and see that in their hearts they were just uh, pigs with tuxedos, okay? That's all they were, okay? Look with me now at Matthew 7, verses 22 and 23. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Would you agree all that's good stuff? Would you? Prophesying in his name and driving out demons in his name and performing miracles in his name, all that's good stuff. Now notice what Jesus said, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. I didn't have a relationship with you, okay? We never entered into this love relationship. I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. So here were folks doing good, but doing good out of religion, not out of relationship. Matthew 23, 23 through 28. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind God. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus was very firm about the fact that you don't earn 
favor with God by, the, by trying to be good and letting your good outweigh the bad because the real issue has to do with the issue of your heart. And God's all about getting at the heart. He's all about changing the heart. Salvation is all about the heart. Salvation is all about the inside that transforms the outside. Amen? All right, I've told you four lies. I didn't tell you four lies. I told you four things that are lies. Now are you ready for the truth? Here's the truth. How do you have a relationship with God? Relationship with God is a gift of grace to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. It is a gift. It is a gift. It's a gift of grace to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Because we couldn't be good enough to earn salvation, we couldn't do enough good things to change ourselves on the inside, God did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, folks. This is the beauty of, the, of Jesus Christ coming. He gave a plan. He gave a pathway to salvation for us to be able to get on this airplane called salvation. And the plan is very clear. Let me walk you through the plan in Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still great people. No. While we were still what? Sinners, Christ died for us. Notice that. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the... What is it? It's a gift, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10. We read it a moment ago, but listen to it again. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. That word means made just as if you never sinned. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved for everyone This is verse 13, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Revelation 22, 17, the spirit and the bride say, come, get on the airplane. The spirit and the bride are saying, come on, get on the plane, come on, get on the plane. The spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come, let the one who is thirsty, let them come and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. It must have been over 25 years ago that uh, I was called to the hospital one, uh, one evening, I believe it was, if I can remember correctly, it's over 25 years ago, of a family member that was in our church. The family called me there because the elderly gentleman in the family was about to die. He was on the last part of his life and he was not sure of his salvation. The man's name was Ed, and so I go to the hospital room to, to chat with Ed. Some of the family members that were a very active part of our church were there at that same time, and so I came up beside the bed, and uh, Ed was still conscious. He was still able to have conversation, and uh, so I began to talk to him about his spiritual life, and he said, Pastor, I'm just I'm not sure I'm going to go to heaven when I die. As I probed a little bit with Ed, I, I began to find out the reason that Ed wasn't sure whether he was going to go to heaven when he died was because he had lived for many, many years under legalism. He was living under that idea of maybe I haven't been good enough to go to heaven. I know the bad things I've done. I know that 
God kind of expects better of me. And so I'm kind of in that place. I don't know which side of the scale I'm on. And so I'm really worried about what it's going to be like when I take my last breath. Ed had been in our services a number of times, and so I had enough of a relationship with him. And I just said, Ed, can I just share with you the truth here for this moment? Something to that effect. I said, I want to give you a, do you believe? I said, do you believe God's word? He said, yes, I do. And I reminded him of Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And everyone who will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I said, Ed, I want you to pray a prayer with me right now. Do you want the gift of salvation? You don't, this is not something you earn, it's something Jesus earned for you. Okay. This is so important. It's not something you work to get. Jesus worked to get it for you, okay? Just like if I worked and earned something and then I gave it to you as a gift, and I said, now, I did the work, you get the benefits of it. That's exactly what salvation is. Jesus did the work, okay? And then he offers to us as a gift, and we say, no, I'll do the work, Jesus, okay? He said, no, no, I did the work, okay? I did the work for you. You don't need to get do the work. You just need to receive the gift. And so I explained that to Ed. I said, well, are you ready just to, by faith, receive the gift? Just to reach out and say, thank you, Lord, for the gift of what you did for me on Calvary. And there that day, Ed prayed a prayer with me based upon Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. A prayer very similar to the prayer that I will lead people in today. And I lead people in quite regularly here at our church. And as soon as Ed prayed that prayer, a smile came over his face. And the peace of God came into that hospital room. And I don't know how long it was before Ed passed from the scene. I cannot honestly remember if it was hours or days. I don't, I don't remember. But what I do know is that for the rest of his time on earth, there was a peace in his heart that said, I know where I'm going when I die. Okay. He knew. He knew. He knew that he was on the plane of salvation. You say, well, that's not fair. I mean, what if you kind of come to the end of your life and accept Jesus like, is everything washed and clean? Yeah, it's just not, don't take the risk, okay, right? You never know when you're going to die. Now, take a look at me at just a couple of passages. We're going to be done today. Luke 23, 40 through 43, Jesus is on the cross of Calvary. There's a criminal to his right. There's a criminal to his left. One criminal is throwing out accusations at Jesus. Hey, if you're the son of God, come on, get us down from this cross. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to death? We deserve to die. Notice this, we deserve to die for our crimes. But this man ha hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, I want to get on this plane called salvation. Jesus, I realize that you're my only hope in this situation. I know that I have messed up my whole life. I don't deserve anything but death. I am a criminal. Would you please remember me? He was calling upon the name of the Lord, and Jesus replied, sorry, buddy it's too late no Jesus said I assure you today you will be with me in paradise I'm grateful for such a loving redeeming savior aren't you last verse 
Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is the Apostle Paul is trying to help the Ephesian believers move out of legalism, out of this good-bad dynamic and this, this relationship with God that's always up and down based upon how they're doing and move them from law to love. And notice what he says. He says, God, this is verses 8 and 9, Ephesians 2, God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Salvation is never about you. Salvation is about grace given to you, okay? Salvation is not about what you did to make it to heaven. Oh, look at me. I was good enough. I got there. No. Salvation, experiencing eternal life and relationship with God is all about receiving the gift of grace. And that grace will change you now and for eternity. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things pass away. Behold, all things become new. If you have not stepped onto the plane of salvation, if you're still living under the myth of universalism, the curse of pluralism, many ways to God. No, they're not. If you're still living with some idea that you don't have any choice, God sort of predetermines some for salvation and some for condemnation. If you're still living under legalism, thinking that somehow you've got to be good enough to get to heaven or please God, let me encourage you today to realize all those are false beliefs. Get them out of your head and step into the true belief that salvation and relationship with God is all about a gift of grace when you put your faith in him. Step onto the plane called salvation today. There is a seat waiting for you. Would you bow your heads together as we pray? Heavenly Father, we're grateful today for the word of God. We're grateful that you've clearly helped us to see from your word today what is false and what, it tr what is true when it comes to having a relationship with you. And I pray this, this morning for those that are here perhaps have never made the choice to give their heart and life to you. I pray that today would be that day. I pray that salvation would come to many today. They would settle the issue across all of our campuses. We pray that many decisions to settle this issue would be accomplished in lives today. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. 
and then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that'll help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.